Amen. Well, thank you, Marty. Marty's one of our elders at the church. Uh, we have uh, four other, three other lay elders, I believe. But anyhow, Marty, glad to have you uh, with us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the baby dedication. That was fun. Uh, and uh, so thrilled when there's so many little lives like that around the church. And it's been so many years since I've had a kid that, that young for me that um, I sometimes forget get all the things that I benefited from as a parent that I had nothing to do with. And if you're a parent in that stage right now, or you're a grandparent who's kind of getting back into that stage, you may know what I mean. Like, who is not grateful that someone invented a diaper genie? Like, I mean, isn't that awesome that you can take those smelly things and put them in a spot where it no longer smells quite like it should anymore? I mean, it's amazing. You know, uh, even the fact that you have diapers, like some of you, some of us um, used cloth diapers, right, and recycled those babies. That was awesome. So I'm grateful. As a parent, I was grateful that someone created a diaper that can be thrown away, and I had nothing to do with that creation, but I sure was grateful for that. Remember, in our, uh, we lived in Dallas for a few years, and one of our friends, uh, we went to an event together with some, another young couple who had a small kid who was just starting to kind of maybe like, um, who was it, Winston, maybe back crawls, I think we heard that this morning, like just starting to move around dangerous enough where you always have to watch them. And so they asked, um, they asked their parents to bring the pack and play along to the event that we were at, and as they get out of the car, the parents get out of the car, and, and our friends are like, hey, did you guys bring the pack and play? And the dad was like, yeah, it's in the back of the car. So my friend goes to the back of the car, and there's nothing there. He's like, Dad, where's the pack and play? He said, it's right in there. And the dad had brought an extra saucer. If you know what that is, a saucer thing that you stick the kid in the middle and they kind of bounce around. He's like, Dad, this isn't a pack and play. He's like, what? I packed it. He can play in it. Come on. I mean, what do you, what do you need? <clears throat> but I'm grateful for things like that. I had nothing to do with creating a pack and play, but I'm grateful that they exist because you can put the kid in there and they stay alive and you stay happy for a little bit of time. It's amazing. There's so many things like that in life that, that I'm grateful for that I had nothing to do with. You know, aren't you glad for that? Yeah, we had a, one of our children went on a field trip this week. And I, and I was thinking about this concept. I was here in the office this week. I'm like, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that we have mechanics who make these buses run well, that I'm not worried about whether the, the engine's going to overheat or the wheels are going to fall off. I mean, like, I'm grateful. I'm just assuming that we have competent people. I had nothing to do with the mechanics of the bus, but I depended on it via my children, right? Like, I was hopeful that someone was thinking about that, and they were. I'm grateful that we have roads that are paved that can get you 90 miles away and back in pretty good condition. I'm grateful for teachers, for people who I don't even know who they are, who decided I'm going to give my time to escort on a field trip. I, mean, I don't know who does that on purpose, but people sometimes do that, and I'm grateful for that. There's so many things, there's so many things that I'm the beneficiary of that I had nothing to do with at all. And all of us, if we stop to think about it, are all in that category. Someone once said this, they said about truth, they said that all truth is God's truth, and you may have heard that. Long before Galileo looked in his telescope and determined that maybe the world isn't the center of the universe, maybe there's something else going on. Long before that, any scientific discovery, any philosophical idea, anything that is true, we say all truth is God's truth. Like, it isn't new to God. It isn't science's truth, it's God's truth, and we are gradually coming to an awareness of it. I'm not down on science at all, I'm just saying that science reveals what I think is true, what God has made true in the universe. So all truth is God's truth. I believe that. I have no problem with that. But here's something else that I want us to think about, that not all, only all truth, but actually all good is God's good. All that is good for you, all that is good for people is actually God's good. The fact that we have diaper genies, the fact that we have pack and plays, the fact that we have roads that work, that we have buses that take people somewhere and they don't break down, this is good for us. That all good that is truly good comes, I believe, from the hand of a good, good father. All good comes from that. Alcoholics Anonymous, the desire to help people move through that. That is good. It comes ultimately from the hand of a good 
Father, the desire to move people through the trauma they've had in their past as children, good work, comes ultimately, I believe, from how God has wired his image into each one of us. And what I believe is that Christians, of all people, of all people, should be the ones who are dispensers of all that is good for people in the world, because all good, just like all truth, is God's truth, is God's good for one another. Unfortunately, if you've lived in this world long enough, you know that not all Christians feel that way. Christians, like any other living, breathing human being, we sometimes get uncomfortable. We sometimes get afraid. We sometimes are uninformed. And sometimes we get angry. And sometimes our posture toward the world, instead of being for the good of the world, can actually seem like we're against the good of the world. When people are in power, political power, who Christians don't agree with, we can kind of get weird. When we're uninformed about how a different um, racial group operates, how they function, or different class functions, we can be uninformed and we can be just as prejudicial as anybody else. We can be just as afraid as anybody else, afraid of what the future holds, the technology future for these little kids who are up here. If you think Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and and all that are, are new now, imagine 10, 15 years from now what the technological landscape will look like. And we can become like anybody else afraid of what the future holds. And instead of engaging for the good of the world, we can retreat. We can retreat and pull back for the good of just ourselves rather than the good of the whole world. And I would argue this morning, I want to make this case, that there's actually two voices that compete for a Christian's engagement with this world. And one says this, that, hey, this world soon shall pass, just hang on. Like, don't worry, this will soon pass, just hang on to the truth of what it means to be a Christian. Just hold on, just wait it out. And the other voice says this, because this world soon shall pass, just step in. One voice says, hold on, just wait, you can do it, just wait, just hold on, keep being yourselves, kind of retreat and consolidate and be yourselves, just wait it out. Wait out all the bad things out there for your kids. Wait it out, wait it out. The other says, yep, this world soon shall pass. So while you have the opportunity, just step in. While you have the chance, deliver, if you will, good for all people at all time. Here's this other truth that kind of comes underneath that, and that is this, that when we're offended, the more we're offended, the less we love. Here's the challenge to that. The more we're offended, the less we love. The more I'm offended by who's in political power, the less likely I am to love those who support him or support her. The more offended I am by you, the less likely I am to love you. Just run that through the grid of your past relationships or a boss that you've had. The more I'm offended by society in general, by people who raise their kids that way, by children who would dare cuss at that age. I want to make sure that we keep our kids away from those kind of people. The more I'm offended by your lifestyle and the way that you decide about your moral and ethics, the less likely I am to want to love. That's just a human nature instinct. And so these two voices compete, at least for Christians in this world. The voice that says, don't worry, this world soon shall pass. Just hang on. Hold on to being pure and right. The other voice that says, because this world soon shall pass, please, while you have the opportunity, just step in to it. These two voices are not just voices I'm making up. They're actually voices that I would argue with you have been historically true for for all time. In fact, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture this morning in the Old Testament in a place in the Bible that that, um, we read before Jesus came to the planet, before he was here. This is a period in time and space history when the nation of Israel um, was in a period of turmoil. They were kind of turned over in their leadership. And the nation of Israel actually was given over. They were um, conquered. They were ripped out of Jerusalem. Their leaders 
uh, were displaced into a, into a country under the rulership of, of Babylon. And they were taken to Babylon, and you should know this about Babylon in the scriptures in the Bible. Babylon is seen as, like, imagine all that is, if you could, if the Bible, if you can picture a minute, the Bible pictures all that is good about God. Imagine the exact opposite of that, and Babylon is the exact opposite of that in the Bible. In fact, Babylon in the New Testament is pictured as essentially um, a... a prostitute that is drunk on the blood of whores in one space in Revelation. That's pretty graphic imagery, right? That's almost PG-13 or whatever, TV-14 imagery. We have uh, Babylon being pictured as uh, almost, almost like the Antichrist in the, in the New Testament. And so Babylon is the place where the nation of Israel, the leaders of Israel are taken. They're taken to this place, Babylon, of all places. And the question becomes, how should the nation of Israel function when they're in a city where they become quickly uncomfortable with the leadership of that city. They didn't even choose to go there. They don't like the rulers. They don't like the educational system. They don't like the philosophical system. They're not for any of those things that are going to influence them and influence their children. How do people function when they're in a world where they don't agree with the powers that be that will have an influence on them? How do you function? And there are two leading voices in that day, in that moment that want to lead the nation of Israel this way or that way. And I want to take you to those two voices right now. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Jeremiah. It's an Old Testament prophet. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible. If you have a Bible with you, you, great. If you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you. That's our gift to you. If you don't own one, we'd love to have you take that with you. You'll find Jeremiah... Um, if you open up to the middle-ish, you'll find the Psalms, and just kind of keep going to your right a little bit. You'll find it after the big book of Isaiah, um, Isaiah, and then Jeremiah. But Jeremiah chapter 28 is where we're going to start. And you should know this as we start into Jeremiah 28. Uh, number one, there's going to be um, Old Testament names that are long, and no one knows how to pronounce them, but you just launch forward and say what you think with confidence, and people think you're right sometimes. So there you go. There's that. Second thing... Um, you should know is that, again, the people are in exile, and God has already told the nation of Israel, don't listen to anyone who tells you you're going to get out of Babylon early. Like in chapter 27, God kind of gives them a warning. He said, hey, there are going to be false prophets among you who are going to try to promise you that you just need to hang on and wait it out, and you'll be out quickly. Okay, Don't listen to them. And then here's chapter 28, Jeremiah 28, beginning at verse 1. I'm reading from the New International Version. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet, and here's our guy I want you to focus on, Hananiah. All right, Hananiah is one of our main characters. He's the first voice. Hananiah, son of Azar, who was from Gibeon, said to me, meaning Jeremiah, in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people. Now, pause it there. Make sure you understand what's going on. We got a gathering of people in the, in the house of the Lord. There's a, a formal, official event happening. All, quote-unquote, all the people. There's no way all the people are here. But this is, a, this is going to be reported on both in the morning news and it will be trending on Twitter later. This event, this is a big deal. This is happening. So in this moment, here's what Hananiah says in verse 2. Everyone is listening. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, says Hananiah. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, 
they got to come up with better names. Really, Jehoiakim and Kim, that has got to be confusing when you're angry with people. Anyway. And all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. That's a big deal. Hananiah says, can I have your attention, please? I want you to know, two years from now, everything and everybody who's important is going to be back here. This is going to be awesome. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah, and here's our two competing voices, before the priests and all the people who are standing in the house of the Lord. And he said, and I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine this wiser, older, not easy to annoy person. Here he is. Uh, he's like, okay. Uh, amen. Amen. Uh, may the Lord do so. You know, may the Lord fulfill the words that you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and, and all the exiles back to this place from Babylon. In other words, I mean, that'd be great. You know, Hananiah, uh, that'd be awesome. We'd love, we would love that in two years that this would happen. That would be great. Nevertheless, verse 7, nevertheless, listen to what I have to say in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. From early times, the prophets who preceded you and me have prophesied war, disaster, and plague against many countries and great kingdoms. But the prophet who prophesies peace, which is what you're doing, Hananiah, will be recognized as one truly sent by the Lord only if his prediction comes true. To which Hananiah doubles down. He's like, oh, so you're calling me out a little bit. In other words, you're saying, you don't quite believe me. You're going to wait and see if this comes true. I got you, Jeremiah. I got you. Let me, let me push on this, Jeremiah, verse 10. Then, it's Hananiah's turn. The prophet Hananiah took the yoke off the neck. This is weird. There actually was a yoke. Jeremiah was wearing a yoke around his neck to represent the um, submission to the Babylonian Empire. So he went over to Jeremiah. He took the yoke off the neck of Jeremiah and broke it. This is dramatic. Verse 11, and he said before all the people, this is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. Doubles down. Now this, the prophet Jeremiah left the building. Went on his way. Okay, you have your moment, Hananiah. You had your moment. You had the drama. You had the yoke-breaking thing going on. Everyone's tracking with you. You said it twice, two years. I hear you. I said my piece. I don't need to respond. I'm going to move on. Then, verse 12. After the prophet Hananiah had broken the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Go and tell Hananiah, this is what the Lord says. You have broken a wooden yoke, but in its place you will get a yoke of iron. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will put an iron yoke on the necks of all these nations to make them serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they will serve him. I will even give him control over the wild animals. And then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you. Yet you have persuaded this nation, not just the people in this room, but this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year, you are going to die because you have preached rebellion against the Lord. And in the seventh month of that same year, Hananiah the prophet died. Imagine for a minute what would happen if you're the people in Babylon, 
the people of Israel in Babylon. You are um, away from home. There are still some people in Jerusalem, a remnant, if you will, but you are away, and you are in Babylon. Imagine if you get this message from Hananiah that says, just hang on for two years. Imagine what you would do. How would you live? And the answer is you would, you would live very differently than if you heard the message from Jeremiah. Like you would live and you would think, okay, I don't, need, I don't really need to invest anything in here. Like, just give it a little bit of time and we're gone, baby. Like, we're home. I don't, need to, I don't need to do anything. I don't even need to buy a house. We can just rent for now, right? I'm not going to invest in a business. I'll get temp work for now. I'm not really going to even put my kids into, into a school system. We'll just you know, temporarily do something because I, th- there's problems in Babylon. Who cares? We're going home. Kind of living with a future in view, but not living with the present in view at all. To which Jeremiah realizes, I have to correct this. And so Jeremiah 29 becomes his correction because of the nation, as he said, has believed in lies, what Hananiah's voice has led them to. And Jeremiah 29, beginning, uh, I'm going to begin in verse 4, he writes a letter to the people who are in Babylon, and they need to figure out how are they now going to live. And listen to what his letter says, and we get to read it. We don't have to guess what he says. We can read what he wrote. This is such an intriguing letter, and the letter helps us understand how he wants God's people to live in the middle of a highly uncomfortable, highly offensive culture to which they came to live apart from their will and their desire. And here's what we read in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. I'm going to read through verse 9. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce, because you're going to have time. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. See what he's starting to say there? Verses 5 and 6, he's saying, number one, you're going to be here a long time. He's addressing three different generations. See that? He says, I want you to marry have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and daughters, so that they too may have sons and daughters. So this whole two-year thing, I want you to rethink that. You're going to be here a while. Because you're going to be here a while, build homes here. Plant gardens here. Wait for the crops to produce fruit. You will have multiple seasons for gardening here in Babylon. You're not getting out of here all that quick. And then he goes on, and this is the most profound thing of what he says, verse 7. Also, it's almost like, oh, also, before you stop reading, also, also, one more thing, hold on. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Seek the peace and prosperity. Some of your translations say seek the welfare of the city. The Hebrew word there is shalom. This is a strong Hebrew word, which is a word that... That word shalom is used to define and describe the relationship of God to his people, his covenant people, to be in a relationship of shalom or peace with God, the covenant-making God. And God is now taking that word, that word that is one of the key words that describes how God's people should relate to God. And they're saying, let me take that word that used to just be our word. We're going to apply that to the Babylonians. 
Those offensive people, yeah, they killed your parents. I remember that part. They tortured all your military leaders. Yeah, I got that. They kill women and children for fun. Yeah, I, I know that. They worship goddesses and gods that have nothing to do with me. Yeah, I, I see that. I understand that. They're, they're completely insane in how they think philosophically. They're crazy. They're, you're afraid of them. I, I, I'm not sleeping. I'm aware of that. By the way, while you're there, while you're planting gardens and people getting married and having kids, all that, seek the shalom of Babylon. Seek the peace and prosperity of that city. I don't want you to retreat. I don't want you to consolidate. I don't want you to to picket. I don't want you to run away from. I don't want you to do that. You are to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. And then, he goes on, pray to the Lord for it. While you pray for your kids and while you pray for your future and while you pray to get out of here, pray for your neighbors. Pray for your government leaders. Pray for the people who make Babylon Babylon. Pray for Babylon. Why? Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That is such a powerful statement. If it prospers, you too will prosper. In other words, this sounds completely selfish. I don't think it's selfish. I think he's reminding them, listen, there are going to be times when your kids are going to go on a field trip with other Babylonian kids. You're going to want the bus to work. You're going to want the roads to be good. You're going to want the teachers to be good. There are times that you're going to want a pack and play and someone else is going to design it. It's going to be a Babylonian who's going to design it and you're going to wish they designed it right. You don't want your kid to fall apart and get hurt in the middle of something that's not designed well because their kids are your kids. Their future is your future. Their city is your city. You are here. Be integrated. Pray to the Lord for it. Seek the welfare, the shalom of it. Seek the good news of this city because as it prospers, so you too shall prosper. Your future is intertwined. You cannot separate from people that you do not love. You cannot separate from people who offend you. You are together in this city. Such a big idea for the nation of Israel. Yes, he goes on, verse 8. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you, Hananiah in particular. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in your name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. See, there's two competing voices. There's Jeremiah and there's Hananiah. And their voices, while the names change, their voices continue through the annals of time. There's the Hananiah voice that says, hey, hang on, it'll only be a little bit of time until we'll get a new president. Only be a little bit of time until we get a new leader. Only be a little bit of time until you're out of the pain that you're in. Uh, Just a little bit of time. You can change jobs. You can get a new spouse pretty soon. Don't worry, just hang on. You can get out of the hard time that you're in. Just wait, just wait for it. And then there's the Jeremiah voice that says, where are you right now? You're there? Is it hard? Oh, is it hard? Tell me how hard it is. And while it's that hard, and while it probably is that hard, while you're in it, seek the peace and prosperity of the relationships that you are planted in. Seek the peace and prosperity of the business that you work for. Seek the peace and prosperity of the neighborhood where God has put you. Seek the welfare of that city. Why? Why? It's not just because Jeremiah wants... Christians to be kind people or God-fearer people, not just because we're talking about Mr. Rogers' kindness, which might be appropriate for me to say, but actually because Jeremiah knows that the people of God have always been, always been people who have been called to be a blessing to everybody. See, Jeremiah knows that going all the way back to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, God made a covenant with Abraham. And in that covenant, here's what he says in that covenant. He says this, he says, I will make you, and this is God speaking to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and look at this, and you will be a blessing. And then he goes on, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth 
will be blessed through you. But Abraham, I'm calling you and all the people that come after you who follow God, all those people, you are called, you're called to me as your heavenly father. Not because I just want you, because you and me, or we're going to be tight, you and me forever, baby, and forget about everybody else. It's because you, through, through you, through you, you are going to be a blessing to everybody. So that means if you get called into Babylon, you don't retreat from Babylon. You pray for the peace and prosperity because that's what the people of God do. They are good news people. Wherever in the world they are called, wherever in the world they go, because the foundation of a relationship with God is built on this idea that God has draws us in that we can be a blessing to everybody wherever we are, however highly offended we are by them. This is the nature of a relationship with God the Father, a dispenser of good news on a regular basis. To flesh this out a little bit more, I want to kind of play the voices between Hananiah and Jeremiah a little bit more this way. So here's, here's a couple things that I think. If Hananiah and Jeremiah were here and that their voices are in our minds, maybe this will help kind of flesh out more of what I mean with the Hananiah and the Jeremiah voices that happen even today. See, the Hananiah voices that we hear today are voices like this. They're, they're fear-based us versus them living. It's those kids who and those people who, and it's the fear of what might happen in the future. It's, it's Uh, motivating you by guilt of pending doom should we not get involved because we're so afraid of a future like this. It's fear-based us versus them thinking. Jeremiah is love-based peer-to-peer living. Our kids, our people, as we prosper, you prosper. We are here because we love. We seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which we have been called. There is a consistency to Jeremiah's calling here. Hananiah's voice says this, my relationship with God primarily benefits me and my family. That as I think about my relationship with God, the most important thing for me is, man, how, how am I doing with God? How are my kids doing? Maybe extended family. If we're all good, like, I mean, we're good. We're good, man. I hope, hope the family's doing well. And I get that. And Jeremiah just says, that's good. That's good. That's good. Don't stop. Don't, don't give that up, but don't stop there. My relationship with God benefits me and my family, but it's also good news for everyone and everything around me. Where I work, where I go to school, where I play, all that It impacts absolutely everything else. Hananiah says this, that the social inequities that I see are either to be avoided or someone else's problem to solve. We have kids who aren't getting an education. That's a bummer. I mean, my kids are fine and my family's kids are fine. So yeah, but I know there's some that that's just too bad. I know there's some people who are dealing with addiction issues, but thankfully they're not a part of my family or my social circle. But yeah, I know there's some people like that. Yeah, I get that. Oh, some people have been through abuse in the past. Yeah, yeah that, that's hard. There's counseling places for that, I'm sure. But you know, thankfully, it's not in my family or you know, right around me. I, but I get that, that that's going on out there. And sure hope somebody does something about that. And maybe I won't send my kids to places where their kids go. Maybe I won't be involved in that kind of thing. And yeah, I don't know if I'll put it that way, but that's kind of how I'll, how I'll live. Jeremiah says this, that the social inequities I see in part are my responsibility as a person of good news. As Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. said, um, and I'm not going to quote him directly because I'm not going to get the quote right, but he said, um, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, right? Something along those lines. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere because we are so intertwined. Our kids, your kids are my kids, if you will. Your future is my future. There is a responsibility as a person of good news that I have for the social inequities that we see. It's Jeremiah's voice. Ananiah's voice is this. 
God's best for his people is that they love him by worshiping with one another. That's what we need to do. Get everyone back to Jerusalem. We can all worship together. That is what God's best is, man. He wants us all to come together and worship together. There's a truth to that, but it goes further that Jeremiah's voice, God's best for his people is that they love him, yes, but by loving others. The first and second greatest commandment tied together. That your desire to love God is expressed through a love to neighbor. That This is the best more than just let's get together and worship just as us as covenant people before God. To seek the shalom of not just us, but also those around us. And finally this, Hananiah says this, the world is getting out of control, therefore we must retreat and consolidate. The world is getting out of control, <laughs> isn't it? The world is getting out of control. And I could go on about that, and maybe I could convince you of that, and hopefully you would kind of see through that and say, man, you're, you're based on fear here. The world is getting out of control, therefore we must retreat and consolidate. Jeremiah says this, the world has never been in control. God is in control, and God's people serve the world. This is Jeremiah's voice. These are, these are the voices that will always compete for your time and attention. The world is not in control. God is in control. And God's people serve this world in that way. And so here's what I kind of, as we wrap this up, and think about your engagement. If you're a person of faith, if you're a person who says you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the question becomes, how do I express that good news in the people, to the people around me? And here's what I want to say to begin to wrap this up. that The good news is not just a collection of ideas around personal salvation, but it's also news designed to heal all the ways that sin has ruined the created world. The good news, if you're a Christian, is not just, I understand that Jesus died on the cross for me, I'm forgiven of my sins, and I'm going to heaven. Awesome. It also includes this idea of seeking the peace and prosperity, the shalom, being a blessing to all the people who I run into across the world. That the redemption of God is, is redemption personally in the future, but also the redemption of the created world. All the ways that sin has impacted this created world becomes a responsibility of people of good news. This creates, you can imagine an airplane, this creates two ways to think about your own salvation if you're someone who says you're a follower of Jesus Christ. On the one hand is there's personal salvation. I am saved individually. But on the other hand, there's how can I express that good and love to others? What does it mean to be someone who is a blessing based on the Abrahamic covenant? I'm a blessing. I seek the peace and prosperity. And you don't, you don't, want, you, you don't want when you're flying in an airplane, you don't want the um, pilot to come across the... Uh, thing. You can't really understand them anyway, but the uh, loudspeaker and say, ladies and gentlemen, I, I hate to tell you this, we are going to lose one of our wings. Now, if that were to happen, let me ask you, if you were to look to your neighbor, do you think you would start debating the value of losing the right wing instead of the left wing? Or the left? I hope we lose the left because, I mean, if we go down this way, of course not. You'd be devastated by any news of that nature and losing the right or the left, neither one is preferable. And both need to stay in balance for the Christian. Because losing one doesn't work. The good news doesn't work only to be about individual salvation. It doesn't work to be just about the good news of just caring for people without carrying that. That airplane, the two sides, that's what I want to talk about next week when we come back together to talk about what does it look to stay balanced in our faith, to be people of personal salvation about Jesus and also about good news and mercies and caring well for people. That will be our topic next week. For now, I want to leave you this one question, and then I'm done. This one question, you think about how do I wrap this up? What can I take from here? Here's a question you can take from here. The question is this. How is my salvation good news to my neighbor? How is my salvation good news to my neighbor? 
If I'm someone who said at a point in time, I've come to faith in Jesus, I believe he's my Savior, great, good, that is good. Now, what does that mean for my neighbor? How is that good news not just for me, not just for my family, but for my neighbor? The products that I make, the businesses that you run, the people that you employ, the people that you work for, the schools that you're a part of, the teachers that you are under, people that you work for, the people in your family, the people in your neighborhood, the people that maybe you coach. You begin to ask questions like, am I serving on a board in our community? Am I coaching a team in this community? Am I seeing and identifying a need in this community that I can help with? Is there someone at work that I can write a note to that I can encourage because I know they have an issue going on? The question becomes, how does my salvation, mine, become good news to my neighbor in a very tangible, systemic, practical way? The voices of Jeremiah and Hannah and I are always going to compete. Hannah and I will say, just hang on. Just hang on, get through it, this world soon shall pass. Jeremiah says, yeah, this world soon shall pass. While you're here, in the place you are, seek the peace, seek the welfare, seek the prosperity of the people and the places you find yourselves as people of good news. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be together this morning, looking into an ancient text from hundreds of years ago. of a message that was sent to people who were struggling with a very offensive culture that they were forced into. I pray for us as people as we engage the culture in which we are living in. We engage our neighbors, we engage our school districts, our business leaders, our townships, the social ills that we see around us, our family concerns. that you would help us to think strategically about how is my salvation, how is the good news that I have come to know impacting my neighbor in a way that they see that Christians are people of blessing. Christians are people you want in your neighborhood. Christians are people you want on your school boards, coaching your teams. Christians are ones you want running your businesses because look what they do for one another. Look what they do for us even people who don't agree with them. Father, I pray that you would help us be these people of good news who seek the peace and prosperity, even to people whom we're highly offended by. I pray that you give us the courage, the grace, and the guts that it takes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.